And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter and uh, co-host of this podcast, Matt Brown. I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host, Brian Fisher. It's good to be with you, buddy. How are you holding up? I'm doing good. You, you sounded so unsure that you're the co-host of this podcast. Yeah, I, I, I just want to confirm that you are. So I, I, you know, I, you never know. You never know. Uh, I, half the time, I, I sit down at the computer and I'm expecting to go to find out that I've I've been fired or laid off or canceled or whatever. That's good. It's good. It's good to know we're still here. Like that's the you, you, know, you never know, right? Still going um, strong. Sixty-six episodes in. That's pretty good. That's 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 pretty good. I've had I've definitely had jobs that lasted less. Uh, that, that I didn't know as long as I've been doing this show, let alone let alone the newsletter. Um, today is an is an exciting day, I think, because over the course of the last two years at Extra Points and across the D1 ticker extended universe, we've written a lot about conference realignment, and generally that those conference realignment conversations have been focused on. Mid majors and low majors. What's happening in the OVC or the WAC or the Southland or the MEAC or the NEC? Um, and, and today we have a chance to not just talk about a school that is making a big transition, but to talk to one of the decision makers, really get in the weeds of what that actually looks like. Uh, we are going to be talking to uh, the athletic director at Lindenwood, which, if you uh, if you miss this in extra points, which first of all, how dare you? Uh, but 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 if you did, that's just a Division One, Division Two institution just outside of St. Louis that is reclassifying to Division One. They are joining the Ohio Valley Conference um, and uh, play football. So they will be joining FCS football. They'll be in the Big South OVC conglomerate uh, and will potentially play other schools that you may have heard of in the near future. It's kind of kind of a big deal, right? It, it, it's a fascinating move just because number one, this university, like back in the day was in an AI school. So like the, they've already kind of made a big jump before yeah. and now they're making and, another leap. And, and it's not like back in the day was like 1934 or anything. This was, this was an NAI school, NAIA school in our lifetimes. So yeah. We're not that old yet. Not even like in our lifetimes, like, like very recently, like within the last couple of decades. And so this is, you know, we, we talk about like young football programs like USF and some of the UCF even and how they've kind of made the, the leap and kind of gone through this process. Like this is an entirely different thing for the entire university. And what makes Lindenwood particularly unique, not just the location, but the fact that they're so broad based. I mean, we, we've talked about Ohio State on this program before, you know, Stanford certainly uh, having a lot of sports and what that means for the universities. But Lindenwood kind of like in their whole whole different ballpark, especially when you compare them to their peers, not just regionally, but kind of peers at that quote unquote FCS level, they, they've got a unique case and it's going to be kind of fascinating to follow them through this process as, as they go through it, number one, and kind of what, how they kind of emerge on the other side, because, um, you know, they're, they're a very unique institution and going through a very unique process right now. Yeah, they sponsor basically everything. Um, so relatively small school, a couple thousand student private school, you would expect, okay, you've got football, you've got men's and women's basketball, you've got cross country and track. All right. That, that, that all tracks, right. Men's and women's golf. But then you've also got women's gymnastics. You've got women's ice hockey, which is already competing at the division one level. you've got men's and women's lacrosse. You've got swimming and diving. You've got multiple flavors of volleyball. You've got multiple wrestling. And then they have, um, which I think is particularly unique a very well-staffed club sports world or, or intercollegiate, you know, competition that's not under the NCAA, you know, banner. So you've got a, a archery coaches uh, and, a, and a relatively deep esports department, excuse me. You've got rugby, you have all these other things. 
which I don't even think Ohio State had some of these. Um, I don't remember. Um, I mean, I'm sure they had esports when I was there, even though it was the, that that world was 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 barely developing. But like, I don't remember bowling. There wasn't a bowling alley on campus when I was at Ohio State. I think I think there is now. Um, so this will be interesting. We have a chance to go talk to Brad, and he's going to uh, tell us a little bit more about what we should be expecting uh, from what Lindenwood's trying to be, how they're trying to do it, and what actually goes in to reclassifying beyond just hiring a bunch of people. Um, why don't we bring him in now? Uh, Brad, thanks so much here for joining us. Uh, I was hoping maybe we could start with this because I understand that you know our audience has a lot of college sports administrators, a lot of college sports fans. But if you're somebody that doesn't live in Missouri, or you're not a, a locked into Division II, uh, I'm wondering if they, they might not be super familiar with Lindenwood. So I'm wondering if maybe just right up front, you could tell us a little bit about this university and yeah. you know, what kind of student it serves and what kind of school it, it's trying to be. Yeah, no, happy to. Uh, we have an interesting history here. Uh, we're in St. Charles, Missouri, which is about, oh, 15, 20 minutes from uh, from downtown St. Louis. And uh right across the, the Missouri River. Uh, and we have about, about 7,000 students. Um, and we have a very interesting athletics department because we, I would say we're one of the largest in the country. We have 29 NCAA sport programs, over 650 student athletes. And then we have another uh, 21, what we call student life sport programs uh, that are non-NCAA programs, but programs that we fund at a pretty high level that have full-time coaches and, and great student athletes that are highly competitive. So in total, we have 50 sport programs and over 1,400 student athletes. So pretty, pretty remarkable size when you look at an athletic department uh, in general. And, you know, for us in terms of the, we, we are generally right now a regional school. Um, our, our, our sport programs do a great job of recruiting local regional kids. Um, but we're national in scope too. So, uh, you know, we, we are a, uh, you know, we're a growing institution. We have some very, very aggressive strategic plans and goals. We want to be at 12,000 students in five years. We want to be a top of mind brand. We want to be obviously regionally relevant and uh, we want to uh, be super engaged in the community. So, um, you know, this has helped us, this move has helped check a lot of those boxes as we move forward. I, I'd love to talk about maybe some of those boxes in a, a little bit more detail because you're, you're coming up here uh, reclassifying into, into division one in a very interesting time, I think in college athletics history, because there's so much um, administrative change and the rules for how uh, all sports are governed we are, are changing very quickly. And I would imagine for a school that sponsors so many sports and has a you know a profile that's different from maybe other peer institutions, there would be a lot of uncertainty. So I, I'm wondering, hey, in, in a world where maybe we don't even know what Division One is going to look like in nine months, uh, why make the jump now? What, what what are you guys hoping to get out of this, knowing there's a lot of uncertainty? Yeah, I think that, I think that uncertainty has helped spur the transition honestly is you know i think there's a lot of unknowns there's some unknowns of well whether you know is there a moratorium put on your ability to access or do they make the do they make more barriers to entry for division two programs i think that's why a lot of division two schools are looking at it right now because the timing might be right uh you know and i think this transformation you know not only has division one uncertainty but i think division two and division three are wondering well what does this mean for us what's the revenue share look like how, how are we going to be treated in all of this and so you know, as we kind of look at, the, you know, what what uh, side of the lawn to be on, you know, the Division One side certainly looks a little bit more greener right now than than where we could be. Uh, I, I think that's part of it. And I think, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty as it relates to, um, you know, uh, the the structure and makeup of, of NCAA in general and how it's managed. 
but you know, I think for us is we look at it as a the Division One brand still has a lot of cachet behind it. And when we talk about checking the boxes from a strategic planning standpoint, you know, we got so much incredible press out of just the announcement itself. Uh, only football school, only only Division One football school in the in the city of St. Louis and the St. Louis region. You know, we're the only Division One men's and women's lacrosse program in the state of Missouri. And you know, so we have a lot of we we really get a lot of traction there and a lot of interest uh, from general population that maybe never had heard of Linwood or very little familiarity with it um, to alums who are really proud to, to be in the Lin, be associated with Linwood now. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of uncertainty, but I think we're using that uncertainty to our advantage as we move forward. I, I mean, this is not the biggest jump the school has even made. I mean, you guys were in NAIA program just not, not too long ago, right? Right before you kind of took over, uh, they made that full transition. What has the school kind of learned as they've gone through this process that's maybe uh, certainly a lot different than the initial jump from NAI into D2? Yeah, and I think the the NAI jump was, um, you know, there was a lot of a lot of uh, scuttlebutt around that jump is if we could have made the transition from NAI to Division One, maybe we would have just done that all in one fell swoop. But, you know, again, there wasn't a pathway to do that at the time. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, as I as I look at it and I wasn't here for that transition, but I was here for the tail end of the you know, again, the, the entire reclassification process, um, you know, I, I think what it shows you is that you have to go in with the mindset of we need to do everything we can to be successful. Um, as I said at the press conference, we're not just doing this to be a part of that popular group. We're doing this to be nationally relevant and competitive. Uh, and so we need to put the resources behind it to do that. Uh, and I think because if you if you're not nationally relevant you lose some of that cachet just being a division one school doesn't mean anything if you're not a very good division one program so you know we want to be we want to be relevant we want to be competitive we want to you know we want to go out there and, and make a name for ourselves and we learned that a little bit as we came in from the nai nai to division two where we had immediate success because we funded it at the appropriate level when you're looking at it compared to other division two schools and still continue to do the same and, and we're going to do that for division one as well um I want to talk maybe a little bit about the actual nuts and bolts of these of this kind of reclassification, particularly for a department that's that's pretty big. You know, I think you know many of our of our listeners and readers understand that hey, if you go from D one D two to D one, you're going to have to start funding more scholarships, yeah. and that might mean that you need to need to hire some other supportive staff. I'm wondering if you can maybe. You tell us and get in the weeds a little bit about okay, so your school decides you want to move up to a new classification level. What do you have to do besides, I'm sure, an enormous amount of paperwork? Yeah, they, yeah, there is a there's a lot of work behind it. Uh, you know, the, the process is labor intensive, which is which is, is fine. We will we'll manage it. We'll handle it. It's going to take some time, but uh, got a great staff behind it. So not worried there. But, uh, you know, they're, they're, right now I'm spending my next couple of weeks meeting with coaches and specifically talking about here's what the transition is going to look like. And unfortunately, it's not a transition where you go from zero to 100 in year one. It's yeah. a four year transition. And again, we're going to fund it appropriately, but it will take a little bit of time to get everyone up to that level. Uh, so really, it's it's looking at the scholarship's a big piece. If you ask any coach, hey, what's the most important part of, of your job and, you know, you being successful? Scholarships by far number one. And so we really need to fund scholarships at a level that I feel like we can be competitive. And so if you look at football, for instance, football goes from 36 to 63. And you have to be at 90% of your total allotment within for two years to be able to play those FBS guarantee games, yeah. uh, which we certainly want to do that. And so we had to make immediate 
investment in football scholarships. Uh, basketball sees a jump. Um, you know, other sports see incremental increases there. And then you're, you know, even so, you're, you're, you're the the way your positions are aligned look a little bit different. Benchmarks look a little bit different between Division two and Division one coaches. Um, you know, we're going to add staff to be able to support it, whether it's athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, academic support. You know, we're fortunate to have a very Division one like model already in terms of how our staff is aligned, but we need more just to be able to to meet the needs of our student athletes. So um, it is definitely a um, intense process. It's a big investment, uh, but we do believe there's a there, there's a bigger return on the other side of it. I mean, you guys are certainly unique in terms of just the amount of sports that you offer. You even, even have some Division One uh, sports themselves. But are there kind of any peers that have gone through this process that you say w- we can kind of model certain things, certain aspects, uh, certainly maybe some some talks that you've had with other ADs in terms of just how they've gone about this process and what you can learn from them? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have some colleagues in the industry that I can rely on and people who are either going through it now or have gone through it recently. Uh, or have gone through it, you know, in the past, you know, I mean, if you look at the, the North Dakota state, South Dakota state model, that's probably the, the, the best model to follow because they put a lot of resources into it and have been really, really successful, but they put a lot of resources into it and had a a pretty significant uh, financial backing from donors and supporters. Um, But yeah, I'm definitely talking to a lot of other ADs that are going through that process right now and are either, you know, in brand new to the transition or, or more or farther along, but uh, have been able to provide a lot of wisdom in terms of how they've done it. And partly is, is, you know, as I communicate with my coaches and for those administrators that are listening in too, it's, you know, we all know coaches think that, um, you know, we, we don't quite do it as well as other schools do it. And we don't have as many resources as other schools do it or other schools have. And, and so it's able, it's, it's helpful for me to say, yeah, Hey, look at what we're doing compared to looking what, look what some of our peer institutions are doing. We actually have it pretty good here. And so I think that, 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 uh, that, um, you know, that's helped me quite a bit in, in dialoguing with my coaches as well. Thinking about, Peer institutions is one of the other things I, really about your school in particular that really caught my eye because I remember, you know, when I was first aware um, that this was a possibility and had talked to other ADs or talked to other people in the industry and, and you know, Linda Wood came up, a pretty reoccurring thing that I heard was, man, I don't see any possible way you can continue to sponsor and sustain 29 Division One sports. Surely if they reclassify they'll have to move some of those back to club status, especially because the Ohio Valley Conference doesn't sponsor a lot of those sports. Yeah. Uh, when I think of the schools right now that sponsor 28, 29 sports, like I went to Ohio State. Ohio State does, but Ohio State's, you know, athletic department budget is the GDP of like Panama, which yeah. is, you know, which, which is not what a 7,000 person school does. So, I, I mean, I'm wondering, um, how can you do that? Yeah. Is, is, there, is there a different funding model? Is there, is there a different way to make that work given that, Stanford and OSU and Alabama have different resources. Yeah. So I think when you, when you look at it and we're very proud of the model that we have built here and the number of student athletes we have and the number of programs we have, you know, um, most of those kids in some of those sports or a lot of those sports are paying something back to your institution. Sure. Most of those kids are not, um, are not fully a full cost kids. They're not receiving a full scholarship. And so they're, whether it's room and board or, or tuition of, at some level, you are, you do have some, what we call net tuition revenue coming back to the institution. And so you can look at each program and say, this is how much a program brings back to institution. Um, and, and, you know, most of those sports 
are probably some of our more what you look at as profitable programs. And so sometimes we look at it in a vacuum and say, gosh, it's just revenue over expenses within the athletics program. But it's not because there's obviously revenue that's hitting, you know, from a tuition standpoint or room board standpoint, like I mentioned before. And it also adds to the experience on campus as well. And, and so, you know, we do believe we can we can fund all those programs and still fund those programs a level at a level to be competitive. We're a very healthy financial institution. Um, we have a very sizable endowment. Most of it's unrestricted. We have no debt, which most most institutions cannot say. Um, so we're in a, a good financial position to be able to support those programs. You know, I think it's always a review process, whether we're Division Two or Division One. I, I think it's always a review process and looking at each sport and, and determining, hey, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense as we move forward. And yeah, finding affiliate members is a challenge, um, but we but we. I've had a lot of success with that so far. I've had good conversations, so I think we're going to get there. Uh, but yeah, I can see, I can see that. I said the same thing as when I was looking at our transition from, from NAI to division two, they're like, Oh my God, we actually added sports to come over. Um, but you know, again, we, we don't want to lose kids too. We want to grow as an institution. Sure. I know it, it, it's interesting. It's, it's refreshing to hear that actually, I think spelled out because this has been, I feel like a hobby horse for extra points over the last two years when we're talking about Olympic sports sponsorship. And this is why I was shoot as Presbyterian has like what one out of five of their students as, as a division one athletes. And a lot of these other smaller tuition dependent schools do this because they're not headcount sports. They're playing right. partial scholarships. You know, we have profitable swim teams that don't sell any tickets. Right. I can't think of too many schools that maybe take that principle to this extent, maybe that you have, but that argument, assuming you're able to manage the travel and the support staff, like that, that, that makes sense. I, I, I can see why you would do this. I know other division two and division three institutions might do something a little bit similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me ask you something a, l- a little bit different. So yeah. I, I, I admit, I, I want to talk about this because I may have missed the original quote because I, I missed the press conference. Unfortunately, I was speaking at a, a different class, but a couple of my readers said, Hey, you know, you should ask Brad about this. Cause I, I heard he mentioned that they're going to be in the EA sports video game, which is something that we've, like, we've written about a lot and I've talked to EA and they said, you know, we're not planning on launching FCS schools at launch. Maybe that's a DLC a little bit later, but here's what the CLC shared or anything. I'm wondering, and this is not a criticism. Like, do you know something that I don't? Or no, so, no, like- so funny enough. So I started the press conference with a little bit of a little bit of humor. Right. So I was having a conversation with my son the night before. He's like, Dad, you'll never believe it. They're come uh, EA Sports is coming back out with college football. He was so jacked up about it. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool. As we're transitioning over to Division One, maybe we'll have a spot there. Uh, so I don't know. I don't have any inside information. Okay. It was just like, hey, wouldn't that be cool if Linda would have a spot on EA Sports? So hopefully they'll they will launch it in future iterations as they move as we move forward. Oh, oh that's that that's good. I mean, listen, I mean, like I, I've seen the proposal. It is there's going to be a, a team creator mode. So Lindenwood fans, there, there should be a mechanism to do that. I didn't know if uh, if, if if maybe somebody knew something about DLCs that I didn't. I I, I got some yeah. of that feedback on uh, on Twitter as well. He's like, hey, you don't know anything about EA Sports. I'm like, well, I yeah, it was just. You know, <laughs> Just this try is to start with humor. Yeah, no, that's that's okay. This is this is. I mean, I I don't know if you if you've noticed this, but this is it's so it's been a little surprising for me, even as somebody that that you know is, plays those games. There is no amount of minutia that I could possibly write about that project that would not attract reader interest. Yeah, I, the, yeah. no matter what it is, any any oh, E eight says we moved a comma somewhere. Yeah. That's going to be my most read story of the week. Yeah. Oh, I I bet I bet. Listen, I, kind of growing up in that era. 
I was devastated when they took away, when they got rid of college football. I'm like, oh man, that's the worst. Well, I do want to stick on that on that football point. Obviously, you mentioned yeah. kind of being the only FCS, well, soon to be FCS football team kind of in that St. Louis region. How much of a, of a selling point is that for you guys just in terms of attracting that attention? I mean, was that part of the, the reasoning behind this move and, and joining the OVC, which, as, as we all know, has, has a long history of success in the, in the sport? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, 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 that has gotten a lot of traction and will continue to get a lot of traction. One of the things that we've really focused on and that our, our coaching staff has focused on over the last several years is really controlling and owning our own backyard from a recruiting standpoint. And, you know, previous to that, we didn't do a very good job of it. And so, you know, we've really kind of, we are, our, our moniker now is loyal to the lose. So, you know, we're really hitting St. Louis very, very hard. And so there is a lot of good te- football talent here. So, um, you know, I, so I think that that was a big part of it though, because that's something that we clearly differentiate ourselves from others in our footprint. And so, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, St. Louis University is a great athletics program, but doesn't have football. Um, yeah. You know, there's no other, you know, either even so, so, uh, Southern Illinois, Edwardsville, which is across the river and in the OEC doesn't have football, you know, so Mizzou's an hour and a half away. And uh, so, you know, we, we, we do feel like we can be St. Louis's football team. But as I told a, a lot of other people, as we've talked about it, is that, you know, you don't just become a division one institution all of a sudden snap your fingers and people show up because you have a football program you have to make the environment engaging and exciting and people want to be a part of it you know sometimes i look at the minor league baseball model i i i've been to a lot of minor league baseball games and you don't necessarily go because of the teams playing you go because of the experience and and so that's the some of the you know we want people to come because of the programs that are playing but we're going to create an experience similar to that that really get people excited and want to be a part of it sure i mean that Oh, go ahead, Brad. I was just going to say, you brought up bye games earlier, too. I mean, is are you already, already plan, planning for that? We know about schedules being made, you know, 15, 10, 15 years in advance. Are you already talking with, with others around that about some of those games against those bigger FBS schools? Yeah, we've, we've, started, we've started having those conversations. We haven't specifically dove in yet to the FBS scheduling. Uh, I'm trying – my, my pri- priority, number one, is trying to build our first-year schedule right. on a very, very short runway. Uh, everybody wants to play us, but nobody wants to come here to play us. So, you know, yeah, we're talking with with schools because we're, you know, we're already starting to look at 23, 24, 25. And so we'll start those. Fortunately, those FBS games with the FBS FCS games are not scheduled quite as far out. You're not getting the 10 year out window, but, um, you know, we're going to start to get hit that pretty hard. I don't want to play, you know, we'll play a couple of those, but I don't want to play five of them a year because I want to be successful and I want to have an opportunity to compete. So, um, but yeah, we, we're definitely excited about the opportunity to go in and play some of those games. Listen, I, I went to, uh, and I, I hate to bring this up and it pains me, but I went to, I'm a university of Michigan alum. So uh, my son's, my son, (laughs) well, this might make you feel better. My son's first experience with Michigan football was Michigan versus Appalachian state. Oh yeah, that game that that, that game that game was wonderful. That's the the first game on BTN. I yeah. I, I watched that from yeah. a bar on Ohio State's campus. Like that, yeah. a, a wonderful example of the great in-game experience an FCS opponent can bring. I must. Say. Yeah, exactly right. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, on that note, you know, one of the interesting things about reclassifications and realignment, especially for an institution that's that's done a lot over the last fifteen years, is you're suddenly playing a bunch of new opponents. And I, 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 you know, anybody can look at a map and say, hey, you know, maybe there's some rivalry potential with, with Edwardsville, given that's, that's just on the other side of town. But uh, given that you're now going to be playing schools that you wouldn't have had as much of a relationship with, is, is there anything, you know, from your staff's perspective that goes into trying to 
create a rivalry or trying to sell some of those connections since you can't rely on 45 years of uh, of inertia uh, yeah, for, for selling those? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. Great question. I, I, you know, I think, you know, when you look at it, SEMO, which is a football program, two and a half hours down the road here in Cape Girardeau, they're coming up here to that's one of our few home games this year. They're coming up here. And I, I, I look at that as an opportunity to build a natural rivalry with an in-conference opponent. Uh, you know, and I think that there are definitely some programs within our region that we can we can play that would draw a lot of interest and attention. Uh, but yeah, I think rivalries are really important. I think it, it creates more of an excitement on both sides. You know, healthy rivalries on both sides, I think, are, are, are already are, are very valuable. You know, I'm actually sending a couple of my staff members out. Actually, they're, they're going this week to Grand Canyon University because I think we're all familiar with the environment that they create around their basketball games. So, you know, I want to recreate that type of experience in football and basketball and other sports. You know, and part of it is getting students, you know, to buy in and engage and supportive of it. And so, you know, I want to, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I think we can learn from others who have done it really well before us and, and try to bring that to Lindenwood. But that's definitely a big focus of ours. That, that's funny. I, I was just there last weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we, we, we kind of found out about that. That's not an easy experience to replicate but i could definitely see why other schools would want to send staffers there to, to be able to see it because if right. you can build it there uh, i think you could you can build it maybe uh, maybe some other places yeah um my, my last big question i get on on that front speaking of conferences is that you're, you're also entering the a time when the ovc is changing a lot you know they just announced this agreement with the big south yeah. last week you've had multiple institutions leave multiple institutions join yeah during the course of these, of these conversations, has, has anyone communicated maybe a larger vision about what they want the OVC to be? Or do you see what, what you want this conference to look like in a couple of years, knowing it, it might look different? Yeah, so I think a uh, great, uh, great question. And I don't have the perfect answer for you. I think that part of it was, you know, doing due diligence on our side to ensure stability and long term planning and growth for that conference, uh, make sure that we're getting into the, uh, you know, a good partnership, which I'm absolutely 100% convinced that we are. Um, Commissioner of the OVC, Beth DeBush, it was is absolutely fantastic to work with and very well connected and has been nothing but a pleasure from us for the very beginning. And I'm looking forward to working with her as we move forward. Uh, and, you know, I think she's excited too about, you know, reimagining what the conference can look like is, yeah, they lost some, some longstanding men, members, but they had a lot of stability over their 74 years of existence too. And they had very little turnover uh, and everybody's going through it. I mean, we all know that. Yeah. Um, you know, I do think that there's an urgency, and that's one of the reasons to, to create that big South partnership. I think there is an urgency to get some stability around football. Uh, I would like to see, I mean, it'd be great to see another, you know, football-affiliated uh, school within our region join up. Uh, but I know that there's a lot of work on that end to, to get that uh, to get that moving in the right direction. Um, you know, I think Arkansas Little Rock was a good addition, again, still within our geographic footprint good, good, good um, basketball school. Uh, and so, you know, for us, I think the geographic proximity of the schools allows us to create those natural rivalries, also it creates the, those pathways for our fans to attend away games. And and so, you know, I love, I love the, the, the geographic footprint of the conference. You know, I also like the partnership with the Big South because it creates some of that stability around football. Um, and so, you know, but I think it's a conference that we can be competitive in and that we have an opportunity. And I've, I've, I've talked to our coaches about it's just resetting the expectations. You know, I'm not under any illusions of grandeur that we're going to go in and win national championships next year. Um, but, you know, it's about let's go in, let's do everything we can to win the conference, get that automatic bid and go have a great experience in the NCAA tournament. We might not win. 
but the student athlete is going to have a great experience. Might be on national television, packed house. It just looks a little bit different for us. Um, but I'm excited about the future of the OVC, and I think it's a great fit for us. That's that, that's that's uh, it's it's good to hear. I mean, the learning curve from Division Two to Division One on the field, I feel like varies significantly. And we've seen a couple of schools go from D2 to D1, like Merrimack and, and, and Bellarmine, and really compete pretty quickly. And we've seen others that, that uh, are, and the Dakotas you know, as well, we've yeah, seen others right. that take a, a longer period of time. But, you know, I don't, I, I don't want this to sound disrespectful because it does sure. not, it's not coming from a place of disrespect, but they're not joining the NFC South. Like there's, there's the, the, you know, coming in here, there's maybe the gap between a high achieving division two team and other uh, programs in this conference is not, um, it's not, it's not so, no, so gigantic that quality coaching and good execution couldn't help overcome that. Like there's, there's a chance to be competitive. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. And I just actually had this conversation with my track coach. You know, I'm like, what set, what's, what sets apart the top end division two track athlete from the top end division one track athlete. And he said, actually nothing. It's the depth at which you have those type of athletes. You know, an SEC school might have 15 top athletes. This other school might have one, you know, and there's some Olympians that have come out of division two programs. Um, but it's really, and we look at that in football is another perfect example, the offensive and defensive line, it's depth, it's size. It's, it's just some of those, some of those qualities yeah. you can't necessarily teach. And so, you know, that's where we're really going to be focusing a lot of our attention is, you know, we got to get bigger, we got to get stronger, we got to get deeper. And so we got to do that pretty much, you know, as, as quickly as possible to get there. But we feel like we can come in and compete in some sports and some sports, it might take us a little bit of time to, to ramp up, um, you know, we we won the we won the national championship last year in women's lacrosse. We have a chance to do it again this year. I'm not I'm not worried about going in and having the ability to compete in, in that sport. There's certain sports that we're just we're pretty good at, uh, yeah. but there's other that's going to take some time. But my expectation is that we continue to build the program to a point where we are very competitive. Mentioned those expectations and being aligned with your coaches in terms of what those are. Uh, we talk so much on this podcast and, and other places about alignment uh, with your university. I'm curious, uh, you know, just how, how supportive has the administration been and, and how much do you kind of take your cues for, from your president in terms of uh, where this ultimate vision is and, and making sure that is conveyed throughout your, your entire athletic department? Yeah, no, I mean, our president is probably the biggest sports fan that you'll ever meet. He comes to pretty much every single game. Um, you know, I, I, I joked with, uh, with, our president's wife that I think I spend more time with our president than I do with my own wife because we're both at every single event. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, he, he's super supportive of athletics, but he also has super high expectations for our programs, not just in athletics across the board as, as any good president should. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel, um, fortunate to have somebody who does support athletics at that level. Um, you know, again, we, we, we have, um, we're going to be investing a lot into our programs, um, we're going to be investing a lot into the academic side too, just because we have some lofty goals. But you know, it, it, it um, you know, it, it's one of those things where we expect to be competitive, but we also know it's going to take some time. And that expect, I'm not, you know, I'm not a very patient person, but I, I do know that it's going to take a little bit of time to get to where we need to be. And yep. he understands that as well. But there, there's a renewed uh, level of expectation for our programs. Um. The last thing, I guess, with 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 you're talking about this uh, this great amount of ambition, and you want to be successful in a bunch of different sports, and you're sponsoring a bunch of different sports, and you're moving up to this other level. Does that master plan? Because does that include men's hockey? I've I've seen some, I think, some confusion as I was 
preparing research for this about whether that is something that is actually happening or not? Yeah, so uh, fair question. Um, they are built off of two different business cases. So our division one overall okay. athletics is built off one business case that we are moving forward with right now. We are still very interested in moving forward with division one men's ice hockey. Again, if you look at the region in which we live, the, 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 we have some ferocious hockey fans with the St. Louis blues here. It's a really rich, uh, hockey community. Uh, and, and so we believe that there would be some great impact if we were to add that we have a great partnership with the St. Louis blues that we actually share a facility with them. Uh, so we're very fortunate there. So my goal is to, uh, is to move that forward, but it's built off of different business case because as you probably know, hockey is a very, very expensive sport. And it's a sport that requires us to generate some fundraising dollars to be able to support that moving forward as we build the model out. So ultimately the goal, my answer to your question is, yes, it is still our intention to move forward. The timeline is still undetermined. We were hoping to be able to do it this year. Unfortunately, we weren't able to the, to secure the necessary dollars to do it. Uh, so we'll push it out a little bit, but the goal is still to try to move forward as much as best we can. All right. Um, Brad, thank you so much here for spending some time here with us. This has yeah. been, uh, this has been, this has been really helpful. We wish you the, the best of luck as you and your program continue to finish out this academic year and, and get ready for a, a big transition here for uh, some exciting competition ahead. Yeah, no, I appreciate you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, before we get a chance to kind of unpack that, I do want to talk about our sponsor, who unfortunately doesn't have any Lindenwood uh, licensed apparel yet. They got a great um, logo. I'll tell you that much. They got a great logo for usage of, of home field apparel down down the road. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll make that introduction. I, I think a little bit later offline. I do want to talk to you about home field apparel, which well, they don't make they don't make uh, Lindenwood stuff. They do make licensed apparel for almost everybody else. It is comfortable. It is unique because they use all of the old-timey logos. I am, of course, uh, wearing more home field stuff. You've got the beautiful App State. I got to get one of those. Joseph, the Joseph logo. I got to get one of those. Home. I'm still rocking my Country Road hoodie. Uh, I am waiting to purchase a third hoodie because I, I mean, we still got two more months of hoodie weather here in Chicago. Um, so I, I think rotating with, with just two is, is truly insufficient. Uh, our buddies just dropped Illinois last week. They dropped Villanova, which is – so much beautiful baby blue, so many cartoon animals, cartoon animals playing sports. It's a perfect combination. And then now, by God, they're adding Kansas. And I don't I don't actually know what designs are in here yet because they didn't share that with me. But you've seen some of the old timey Kansas logos, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like if, if you just kind of go through the and, and obviously a historical program, they have so much of a, of a rich history and so much to draw upon. Like I, I, I can't wait for this collection in particular. Um. One of my favorite vintage logos ever is, of course, the on we sad Yukon Husky, the the Husky you know logo. I mean, I've got it on sweatpants upstairs, right? But it, it's it's the dog that looks like they just watched the Randy Edsel era part two, uh, which is delightful because logos are supposed to be ferocious or excited or like they just shotgunned a monster energy drink, and this one just looks bummed. By God, Kansas has got like three of those, and they've got one that looks like my daughter Penelope drew it. Uh, I, I, I don't, I've never been to Lawrence. I don't feel one way or the other about Kansas athletics. If, if you give me existential crisis Jayhawk or like paper mache Jayhawk, I'm going to buy it. Um, and if you do buy Kansas stuff, whether they have existential crisis Jayhawk or many other wonderful Jayhawks, 
Uh, you should use promo code going for two to save 15% off your first order, whether that's Kansas stuff, whether that's uh, Illinois stuff, whether that's Ohio University stuff, whether that's DePaul stuff, uh, Appalachian State stuff. Almost anybody you can think of. But at, at the end of this season of Big New Saturday, I want to say they're going to have all but like three Power Five institutions. And I know at least one of those Power Five institutions is not in this season, but it's going to be in the season afterwards, is signed. So basically none of you are going to have an excuse to, to not own this stuff, and, and especially because we are going out of our way to give you a discount code where you can save some money on it. So uh, do that. Buy some clothes. Use our code. Help support us uh, and help keep yourself warm and comfortable, ideally with um, depressed Jayhawks. Jay Jay Jayhawks aren't real birds, right? I don't don't even ask me that. I, I, I think they are actually. I, I mean, I've, I mean, I've never I've never seen one. Oh, I, I forgot. One, I, I got to put this in the show notes. One, I, there's like there's like one of these that has like they're like the sexy legs Jayhawk. There's like one of them that looks like it's a person, almost like almost like it's wearing high heels or something. Like I'll, I'll I'll put that in there so you can see what I mean. I've never seen an animal like this before. I don't know if it's real or not. I'll have to ask my kids. They would probably. Oh, we we just had Travis uh, Goff, the AD at, at Kansas, uh, on on our athletic director U series. So I'm I'm sure he's just gotten a boatload of stuff uh, headed his way, and I I just can't wait for, to see him in those those type of shirts because yeah, um, I'm sure it'll be unique. I'm so, I, I didn't mean to besmirch your storied athletic department and all of the decades of beautiful iconography that you have produced. Um, if we, just want the, we just want the good logos. That, that's all we're about. Yeah, that, 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 that's right. But I, I would never want to besmirch a university that managed to beat the University of Texas in football multiple times. That's a big time program. Um, and who knows? Maybe Lindenwood ends up scheduling Texas in a couple of years. And uh, who knows what will happen? Um, this was a fun show. I learned a lot. I hope you guys learned a lot too. This, there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening at the FCS level right now and at the one AAA level. This is a good time to be tuning in. Uh, I, I think not just to our show, uh, but to this level of college athletics generally, because it's also conference tournament time. Uh, we're kind of look, thinking of, of other ways to kind of advance those stories and showcase stuff that's going on there across all of the D1 ticker family of publications, but like the OVC basketball tournament is this week. Um, uh, low major, mid-major basketball tournaments for men and women are happening everywhere. We're getting glorious, beautiful daytime college basketball, which is one of our country's most sacred traditions before the actual NCAA tournament. Um, so this is a good time to be to familiarize yourself with, with what's going on, especially because maybe their membership's going to look a little bit different in a year or two. Well, I mean, that was something that uh, certainly Brad kind of brought up and, and we've mentioned it on the show is, is there is kind of that uh, hesitation between a lot of programs thinking about maybe making that that jump up to, to D1 and not knowing kind of what the future is uh, as part of this D1 transformation committee and uh, ultimately kind of what barriers to access there might be if there's going to be a moratorium. There, there's not really any clarity surrounding that. So schools like Lindenwood, as, as uh, Brad mentioned, I mean, they're, they're going to make the jump now. And uh, certainly they found a good home in the OVC, kind of fascinated to see how they kind of play out that process and and uh, you know kind of devote those resources that he was talking about because uh, that's not just in terms of the, the depth of their programs that they got to have uh, just the, the the sheer amount uh, that they they've got to worry about uh, I'm sure it's going to give him a few gray hairs knowing that he's got a plan for women's hockey and basketball and football and all that all that goes into this this type of move yeah especially because what 25 percent of those sports don't have conference homes yet and I would be optimistic that they're going to find them but that, that's a lot of phone calls to make uh, I know what that's like um, I got to run right now, unfortunately, but I, this, this has been a fun show. We're going to have another fun show in a couple of days. And then as we typically do, we're going to have another fun show a couple of days after that. And you can keep reading 
all the cool stuff that we're doing at extrapointsmb.com. You can subscribe to D1 Ticker for free and get a clipping service from across all of the college sports industry. And you should also, if you haven't done this already, sign up for a free account on for Collegiate Sports Connect because Brian makes a ton of videos and helps uh, my videos look less like crap. I make other videos during the week. Oh, we have other staffers that we just added that are doing interviews all throughout the college sports industry. And uh, you can watch them for free. Uh, we're going to share some of those in extra points, but you can get the full list at uh, with Collegiate Sports Connect. The link will be in the show notes. Brian, have I neglected to promote anything before we go? No, just uh, make sure you're also giving us five stars in this year podcast, uh, wherever you can rate and review. Uh, go ahead and just drop drop a nugget in here. Maybe talk about your alma mater. I, I really don't care in terms of the review. Just give us those five stars. That That's what we're all about on this one. And truthfully, it helps find other fans that uh, might be interested in kind of the nuts and bolts of college athletics that they're they're not really getting uh, away from the field that we hopefully are covering with a pretty pretty broad breath, as we've mentioned on, on this podcast, covering schools coming up to, to D1. Uh, obviously, last week we, we covered, uh, you know, kind of the expanse of FCS football and FBS football and, and some of the big time uh, programs out there, but uh, it, it's a fun time for college athletics, and uh, hopefully you can give us those five stars to uh, to keep this this show going. Yeah, listen, I can't I can't um, overemphasize this enough about how much saying nice things about going for two helps. It helps with these faceless algorithms across Spotify and Apple if you give us positive reviews there. If you go on your Reddit or your favorite college football message board, or on Twitter and say, whenever someone's asking about college football podcasts or college sports podcasts to listen to, hey, I got this dork show that's real great called Going for Two. That helps a lot. If you're in truck stop bathrooms and you just write our podcast name on the bathroom in Sharpie, I'm not going to say don't do that. Maybe somebody else will listen to it, and advertisers love that kind of engagement and content. So you should do that too. Any way that you can help spread the word is helpful to us because it helps us allows us to keep doing what we're doing everyone thank you so much for listening we will catch up with you next week